podcast one production. Brendan Favola is one of the most successful football players in AFL history. His highly publicised off-field antics have taught us that things are not always as they seem. Fev says, life is not perfect, but going through the ups and downs is what has shaped him into the person he is today. In this intimate conversation, we talk about shining a light on mental health, the importance of family, and why asking for help is so important. Don't be afraid to open up to your loved ones. Don't be afraid to speak to your wife or your girlfriend or your husband or your boyfriend. I suppose your parents, because it is hard, but once you do do it, it's like such a weight off your shoulder and they're there to help you and they're not there to judge. I'm Sarah Grimberg and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Brendan Favola was born in Melbourne, Australia. He's the co-host on one of Melbourne's top-rating radio shows, Fifi, Fev and Byron. In this episode, you will understand how out of tragedy you can be triumphant. You were brought up in a beautiful Italian-Australian family. Mm -hmm. Angelo is your dad and Karen is your mum. Yep. And you've got a younger brother. Yes, Jace. How were the younger years? Uh, the young, up? Yeah, they were good. Um, we we lived in Nazawaza, Nary Warren. Um, so a nice little place down there. We grew up down there. Mum and dad split up pretty early, so that was tough um, on me. How old were you then? I think I was like seven. So Jace was only like three or four. Yeah. So he can't really remember. So that was tough, but Andrew was good. So we used to go to dad's house every second weekend and hang out with him, which we always look forward to, and then hang out with mum, obviously, during the week. Um, mum was a strict one because she was obviously a single parent. So, um, you know, that was tough, but we lived in a court um, down in Birch Court in Harry Warren, which was uh, uh, littered with kids. Yeah. So we we're always out playing sport in the court, and my next-door neighbour you know, become best friends with him. And he he went on to play footy as well. So oh, really? he got drafted to Richmond and I got drafted to Carlton. Yes. So um, amazing that two people that live next door to each other. So we just played sport all the time. And he had an older brother who we all looked up to. And then uh, we gave a lot of shit to my brother, which was good. We used to make him do all the stuff that we didn't want to do. So he was sort of the whipping boy, yeah, which was great. But we lived, yeah, we had fun when we were kids. I think it was a, a normal upbringing where... We just played all the time. We're just out playing sport all the time. And when it went dark, we had to go in and then you go to bed and you get up and do the same thing every day. We just loved it. It was great. How Active. How did you find not having your dad present living with you and being kind of a real um, bloke? Good question. I don't know. I think I liked not – I didn't like not having dad there but because I was sort of the man of the house. I don't yes. know. It's weird. Like I took on responsibilities and looked after my brother – um, but you enjoyed that. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Because a lot of but people I would have find enjoyed that tough. My, I would have loved it if my dad was there. Yeah. But I never really thought much of it, really. I just Because yes. it's just the way it was, I suppose. You just had to suck it up and, and deal with it. Um, not having that father. But dad was like a footy coach. And, yeah. So dad was there, but obviously just not there at night time. And, and then also the fact that you guys did sport the whole time yeah. and you didn't have your, your dad there as much. Like you just went, it was like, was it almost like an innate thing that you just wanted to 
kind of play footy? Um, well, Dad played lacrosse yeah. when he was, you know, my age, I suppose. And he represented Victoria, coached Australia. I think he went, he played for Australia. Yeah. My uncle played ice hockey. So my dad's um, yeah, side of the family were very sporty. But mum wouldn't let me play lacrosse. So when we used to live in Hawthorne and then we moved to Narry Warren and when I started prep and then yeah. all the kids played footy. So I didn't even know what footy was because coming from the, you know, WOG background. Yes. Um, we didn't really know what footy was. So I just started playing footy with all the boys at school just to, to fit in. And obviously loved it and was bloody good at it. So I just went on to the – and Dad coached in under 10s. Yeah. And we actually won the grand final in under 10s and he had no idea what he was doing. He just doesn't know. He's got no idea about footy. It was so funny. So we loved sport. Like I just loved playing sport. We'd play basketball, roller hockey, cricket. Some of the games we'd play in in the street were just – we just had so much fun. Tennis, um, whatever we could get our hands on or whatever we got for Christmas, we'd use – those toys because obviously we didn't have much money back then. So we just made – so it's so different to how our kids live now. Like yes. it's just – mate, I used to roll up footy socks in my house, like just normal socks yeah. that I would wear and tape it up and then use them as a footy in the house because um, really? we didn't have a footy. Like it was just stuff like that. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun. We did. We had a lot of fun and like we'd play, we'd play roller hockey out in the court with my brother – and he'd be the goalie. Yeah. So me and, my, me and Chris, my best mate, could play. And then yes. we'd say, well, you, you can have a go when after we finish. So he used to stand there and cop all the balls getting hit into him. And then when we'd finish, go, ah, we're not playing anymore. <laughs> 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 but he did it every time. He was a goalie. It was his little Goldberg. It was so funny. There's something about a childhood where you kind of have to make your own fun. Like obviously kids these days, they have iPads and oh, so much all technology. that kind of stuff and phones and whatever. But the fact that you had that innate instinct that all you did was want to play sport yeah. and then look what you achieved. I suppose being active back then because we didn't have anything else. Like we yeah. didn't have iPads and stuff. And I think it, the, the way the world's gone, like I, I've got four kids and I don't really let my kids outside because I don't know, just, I just feel like that unsafe to yes. them to be riding around. Like you look back and I always talk about Christmas time where – Every Christmas, you'd go for a drive to wherever you're going for your family Christmas and you'd see kids on bikes, kids on skateboards, kids on roller skates, always seen them. Yeah. Every Christmas day. I remember that. All the time. And that was Christmas, you see, because they're trying out their new stuff that Santa brought them and um, now you don't see any kids. Yeah. You don't see anyone out in the street. Like you get nobody and it's like something that's It's funny, isn't it? It's so weird. And I used to always say to my kids, I say... Christmas Day, you'd be out in the street and you'd be ro- doing whatever. I used to get roll. I got rollerblades one year and I rollerbladed all day. Yeah, like I was outside. But now you kids don't do anything. And I'm like, and they said, well, you don't let me outside. I'm like, yeah, well, there's an issue there because I don't feel safe for the kids to be riding around yes. the streets without supervision. But back in my day, mate, we'd walk around the streets all day and all night and then come home and then everything was fine. I don't know. It's just the way the world's yes. gone, I suppose. But and I suppose being a, a kid, you can just do whatever you want and you go off on little adventures. But being a parent, all you do is worry about your kids and you don't want them to be No, exactly. Go out to the backyard <laughs> and just swim in the pool. You're not going out the front. How was... School days for you. <laughs> school was heaps of fun. Um, were you a good student? No, I, I hated school. Um, I loved school because my friends were there. Yeah. But, you know, primary school was fun, I suppose, because you don't learn anything. It's primary school. You don't yeah, do anything yeah. in primary school. Uh, year seven was an interesting one. I, I went to a school called St. Francis, Xavier yes. in Beaconsfield. And I got um, I got kicked out in year seven. How come? Oh, it's just naughty. Naughty boy. What did um, you do? Oh, I did everything. Yeah, well, everything. Yeah. You name it, I did it. 
because I didn't really like school. I went to so oh none of my mates went to that school, so mum put me in a Catholic school. Yes. So I didn't Were know you anyone. a religious family? No, at all? I don't even know how I got in there. Um, but I put all my eggs in one basket. I just want to play footy. So I didn't really go to class. Um, I was I got drafted in year eleven. So yeah. My year, year. Where did that passion for footy? I mean, obviously you played it when you were young, but like you know, in the backyard and in the street and all that kind of stuff. But where did that real drive of Football. Um, when I knew I was from. really good at it, I suppose. Yeah. When did you realise that? Well, under 10s and 11, like under 11s, I was kicking 100 goals a year. Wow. And under 12s, under 13s. <clears throat> so I knew I was good at it. So I thought, um, I'm not really good at school. <laughs> I think I might want to play footy. Yeah. Because that's a job. Yes, so, of course. Um, I used to have a, a friend called Jackie Hatch. She used to do all my homework. She was a legend. So we, she was like my best friend at school. Really? That's so, so we sweet made, of her. We made, we made, an inst- we made a, a signature. I think it was in year seven or year eight. Yeah. She made me a signature, which is still my signature now. We did it in like year eight for when I got drafted. And I, my footy number at juniors was 23. Yes. So obviously I changed to 23 to 25 when I got drafted. But it's exactly the same signature. She made that signature like in a maths class in like year seven. Which is amazing. So she was a, she was my best friend at school, and then year year eleven I got drafted, and then year twelve I pretty much bribed all my teachers with tickets and and stuff to go to the footy, and they just passed me. I didn't really have to go to class, which was great. Really, so I sort of bluffed my way through school, which was good because I was always at footy training. Yeah. Um, and then when I was supposed to be at footy training, the footy would say, "Go to you need to go to school," and then I'd tell school I need to go to footy training, and then I go footy training because I just love footy. So like I got paid, like I think I was on like thirty grand already. Yeah, which is amazing which for seven, someone of that at age. Seventeen. Yeah. And then I was like, my first contract, I think it was like thirty thousand back. This is in nineteen ninety nine. Yes. So that's a lot of money. And I already had a car and I was set. I was like, I'm going to play footy forever. And then you got drafted to Carlton. Got Carlton, yes. How was that? Uh, it was amazing. Uh, I got invited to the draft and, and back then only eight, I think it was like eight or nine players got invited to the draft. Really? Because um, they were guaranteed to get drafted. Yes. And only one 17-year-old could get drafted um, to each club. So there's 16 clubs. So only 16 and 17-year-olds could get drafted in the whole of the country. So. Yeah. I was lucky enough to get picked up and I got read out to Carlton yes. and then they come over and they give you a hat and then you had to go to training yeah. the next day and then like literally next day at 6 in the morning at a time try at the footy club and then they just put everything Carlton, they just fill you through, everything's Carlton. And then you walk out of the club rooms after a week and you bleed blue. Like yeah. it's like, I love them. <laughs> but yeah, it was an amazing experience because to go to a club, um, we were going pretty well at the time. They were a really good side, actually. Yeah. So to get drafted, then uh, David Parkin was our coach, who's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yes. So he, yeah, it was an amazing experience to walk into a club with so many superstars and won the most premierships in the AFL. So much history. Yes, um, of course. Uh, yeah, it was pretty special. And there was a point in your career where you were one of Australia's best sports people. It's hard to explain when you're in it. I suppose, because mm. you're in a bubble. Mm. Like the AFL is such a bubble and there's nothing really outside of that because all your mates are at the footy club. Yeah. All the people you trust are at the footy club. You spend so much time at the footy club. You play, you train, you eat, you go out with the boys. So everything's just in that bubble. So you don't really understand outside what life's really about, I yeah, suppose. Of course, because no. you go into a footy club and everyone's yes, 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 because mm. they do everything for you. You've got a manager that pays all your bills. You don't really deal with any of your money. They do everything for you. Yeah. At the footy club, you've got your doctors, your physios, everything. And even when you're like 
have kids, like they're your kid's doctor, so you don't really have to worry about anything outside of a footy club because it, it's everything's just given to you. Like you have dinner there, you have lunch, or not dinner, you have lunch there, breakfast there. Your coach is like your dad. Um, you've got all their little assistant coaches, so they're like all your family. Yes. So it's a that really, is your life. That's your life. So you're just in it and yeah. you're there all the time. So um, when you do finish, you see so many players, they don't know what to do with themselves. I'm sure. Because everyone's everything's just given to you and everything's done for you and then all of a sudden you get dropped and you're like, you hop out of that bubble and you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to live. Like I don't know what to do. Obviously you came from not much to something yeah. huge and your mother being a single mother worked so hard yeah. to, she left her job yeah. to then drive you to footy training. Yeah. And then she sees you as this superstar. Yeah. How was that? Well, the best thing was mum used to always buy me. She must have been so proud. Yeah, she was proud. Um, she used to always buy me for my birthday when we were younger, like my birthday's on the 20th of January just yes. before we go back to school. She used to buy me like the new Air Max for yeah. like, my birthday. Um, like she'd save up her money and I'd always get like Air Max on the 20th so I could wear them to school because they're like cool. Yeah, awesome. Um, so it was a new, so I thought I was cool as a cucumber. And then when I got drafted, I signed with Nike as a sponsor. Yeah. So I got like endless free Nikes. So I took her into the store and got her whatever she wanted. Aww. And she was like, I used to save up all my money to yeah. buy you Air Max and now you get them for f***ing free. <laughs> so she said that she never swears. And I'm like, I don't know, mum, this is how it works out. And she's just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like, it was just weird stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it's just amazing that you could give back, I suppose. But yeah, mum was proud and dad was proud, but mum was a Richmond supporter. So yeah. mum loved Richmond and she still barracks for Richmond. Yeah. And when I used to, when we used to play Richmond, she'd wear a Richmond scarf, which is weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, she loved it. Yeah, she loved going. She loved watching me play. Um, but yeah, she was, she was pretty proud. So it was always good to like get her stuff back because yes. she obviously didn't make much money. She did quit her job to drive me around and it's not about all the players, it's about the families as well because the, the mums sacrifice and all the dads, but usually the mums yeah. sacrifice so much because they drive their son to all these things. You don't realise, like oh, I started playing when I was five, so mum was driving me around from the age of five to 17 because I didn't have all to 18 because yeah, I didn't have a license, driving me to all the different yeah. games, all the different places. They, they travel all around Australia and they drive you and they have, because you've got no, no other way to get there. Yeah. So people don't, re, they forget that I reckon. Yes. That doesn't get spoken about enough. And, you know, she was, she was, it was pretty amazing what she did. So yeah. I wouldn't have been able to play footy if it wasn't for her. Isn't that amazing? And there is though, obviously then a weight that's on your shoulders because you're like, okay, everyone's put in so much to get me to where I am and I'm at the height of my career. I mean, did you all ever have in the back of your mind, this is not going to last forever? You don't, but I played with a, uh, one of the Carlton greats, Craig Bradley, and I think he played to his about 80. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was a freak. So when I went there, he was our captain and I think he was about seriously 30 seven, I reckon he played till he was like 40, so he was a captain for a couple of years. Yeah. And I remember we were at the Optus Oval and we're walking across to Norton's. It was a Christmas drink yeah. and it was our first year and he doesn't really drink. So I was walking with Ryan Houlihan and he was telling me about, we're telling him about all these drinks you can have. You can have like a fire engine. He's like, what's a fire engine? He's like, mm. You can have like vodka with like raspberry like in it. Anyway, he, he, the, the walk was about 10 minutes and he literally was saying, guys, 
just don't just forget don't rem, don't forget that footy doesn't last forever. Mm. He goes, it goes like that, and I'm like, listen to this old bloke. It goes like that, literally. Like I literally thought that in my head. I'm like, what's he talking about? And then when my footy career was finished, it went like that. Like it, it still resonates with me now, and I'm like, it's so true. Like the, it goes so bloody quick, and it's just a flash. It's gone. Like it's the average age. Like the average player plays three and a half years. Is that it? That's it. Uh, average player. That's I think. That's I think it might even be a bit less. So every player that ever gets drafted, the average time in the AFL is three and a half years. That's wow. it. I think it might even be lower than that. But people think, oh, they have you know 10, 15 year careers, um, but it doesn't always end up like that. So if you're good enough to make it over f- three and a half, well then you've made it. And you know I was lucky enough to play. I don't think what did I play twelve, eleven. I don't know. But yeah, it's um, you're in it for such a short time. It's, it's it's actually mind-blowing how short it is. It, it, that is mind-blowing. Yeah. And at that stage where you were the biggest of the big mm. and the height of your career, no one was saying no to you. What do you think that did? How old were you then? Oh, God. 18, 19, 20, yeah. 21. So you were like a baby yeah. still. And the thing is, I think with players, like I'm, I'm, I'm of the big... I, I want players to be drafted like 22. Like in American sport, they go to college, 18, 19, 20, 21, mm. and then they get drafted at like 22. So they spend four years in college, they get a degree, they get something, you know, an education mm. behind them. Where our kids are like 17, 18, get drafted. They could last one to two years. They get the ass. They got nothing behind them. All their mates have already done a two-year apprenticeship, so they have to start from scratch. Yeah. And they're not adults yet. They're still kids. Like at well, the age it. of 21, you're a child. A child. Um, and you're in a man's sport. You've got mm. scrutiny with all the media. So many, so much media. You get hammered paper. You get hammered on podcasts. You get hammered on uh, radio. You get hammered on everything. Like ev- there's so much media that covers footy. And for kids that are 20, 21, 19, they, they can't. You, you can't teach them how to cop that. Like yeah. it's... People are human, and I don't think, and you know, you got your keyboard warriors that bag people on sites. And I used to always read. How did you deal with that? Well, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I used to always read. There used to be like Carlton sites mm. after games, and I'd get on and read all the comments that the people would bag you about. Yeah. And my what wife. What did would, they write? Oh, just awful stuff. Like, just really, like, they hammer you. Like, yeah. Um, really, like, trolling really bad. And um, my wife would come out, it'd be like two in the morning. Mm. She said, What are you doing? Stop reading them. Like, I can't stop. Like, I need to read it. I don't know why I used to do it. Did anyone ever educate you on the best nah. way to deal with that? Well, back then, I think they might now. Yeah, but, but back, back then, then they, there back wasn't. They, back then they didn't. Um, like, footy's changed a lot. But, yeah, it was weird. Like, I used to read all the stuff and it was horrific. I'd be like, oh, my God. So how would you feel after that? you just get pissed. Just drink. Really? I used to drink when I was doing it. And I was like, ah, and then you wake up in the morning and you forget about it. But at the time, because it's after a game, you'd be having a few beers and you'd be like, oh my God, listen to this. Alex is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I just always read it. I was, it was really bad. And then I stopped because it was just really bad. Like it's stuff with your head. And of course, you'd lose your confidence, but you didn't get really taught, really, you didn't really get taught how to, to deal with any of that. No. Um, and then I used to bottle it all up and not worry about it. In the glory days of your career, you had the crowd absolutely go wild. You're a young kid. You're playing AFL football. How was that? Like, um, how was it in a match to hear that crowd roaring and you be the number one player? The roar when you kick a goal, like, it, that's 
it, you can't explain yeah, it. Yeah, like what the, is that it's feeling? Just the, the thing that goes, just a feeling that goes through your body. It's just, it's incredible. Like you go nuts. And I used to love to celebrate, so I was always excited. But yeah, the feeling's just, it's nothing you can ever experience. Unless you're there, like yeah. it's just you got ninety thousand people, you kick a grouse goal and everyone screams and cheers and you're like, yeah, how good's that? That was me. Like, and you look, I always used to watch the replay up of the big screen and I tried not to watch it like get busted because yeah, you know, yeah. Cause I knew the cameras would be on me and you sort of look up and then you can see yourself. And I'm like, oh no, I'm still watching myself. But you want to watch it because yes. in the moment you live the moment yeah. and you're like, I really want to watch that. That was amazing. Um, but the feeling's incredible. Like, and when you win and when someone does something good, like the raw. And that's the only thing I really miss about footy. Yeah. Um, you know, I go and watch footy now and then when you hear the roar, you're like, oh, it's pretty special. You know, I know a lot of rock stars and stuff have this too when they play to a huge crowd and get that same kind of roar. It's very hard to then achieve that anywhere else in life. Oh, yeah, you can't get that. So what it's like almost like you're it coming down. Like yeah. it's like you need to get that high, you need to get that high. But realistically, it's, yeah. it's very hard to find. How did you manage that? Um, well, I think like during the week, it, I was always a bit flat. Like I was always upbeat, but I was flat when I got home and stuff because your training's not the same. But yeah. come game day, when you run out, like the feeling you get in your body, it's totally different. Like you can train as much as you want, but when you play footy, it's just that you, you just go to the next level and you get the, the, the crowd, the, when you cross that white line, the feeling, and it goes so quick. Yeah. Like sometimes you can't even remember what happened in the game because you're just in it. Yes. And I, I suppose it'll be the same with musos when they're out singing, they're, they're on repeat. It's mm. like muscle memory. They sing their songs and they probably don't even know what they're singing, but they're singing, they yes, know the words because they've, they've sung it so many times. And it's like with footy, it's like riding a bike. You go yeah. out there and you just go, bang, I'm on. Like this is what's going to happen. And I remember coaches used to say before the game, you don't seem switched on. I used to yawn and stuff and I'm like, because I just wanted to get out there. I was just relaxed. Yes. Because I knew this was my time. It's like when I was a kid, what it, like footy player, they make it so structured and, and game plans and this. We, all, we, we can all play footy. Yeah. And you've been playing it since you were a kid. Like go out and do what you did when you were a kid. And that's what I used to be like. And you kind of didn't listen to what they said. Nah, you just I kind just of go did. out and do my thing. Because yeah. I was a full forward. I just needed the ball kicked to me. Yeah. So I just lead and I knew my patterns I had to yes. run and I knew who had the ball and I knew where they're gonna kick it. So I know my midfielders and I know my backmen, I know the left foot or right foot, I know where they're gonna kick it. And I knew all that in my head. So I'm yeah. just like, when I'm out there, I'm like, just slap this, this is this is it. Like I'm game time, bang out. And I used to do my thing and I used to love it. And when you get off, you'd be so flat. Like I couldn't sleep at night time. Really? Like it's find it hard to sleep. Like most footy players do because you're coming yeah. down. Like yes. you see, like if you follow blokes on Insta, like yeah. two in the morning after a game, they'll be laying in bed going, Oh, I'm still awake. You go to recovery, you haven't slept. Really? Because you're coming down high. from the high. Yeah. And it's and and the doctors and physios just always say, You probably won't sleep much tonight. And because you're sore, like yes. you, all of a sudden you, all the body, your body just shuts down. But you just can't sleep because you're just like, Oh my God. And you try to think about the game, like, did that happen? That did happen. That was amazing. You try to sleep. You just can't, you can literally can't sleep because you're just such, so, such a buzz. And you have ADD, don't yeah. you? So that yeah. obviously. That went well. <laughs> how did the coaches find that? Um, coaches are pretty amazing because they've got 45 blokes they've got to look after. Yeah. And they've got to manage them all differently. They've got to know their ins and outs, what makes them tick. And I think Dennis Pagan was huge for me. He, he, um, he was strict, but did it in a way where he made me think like he was helping me, not helping him. Really? I I do. That's smart. It sounds weird, yeah. But now looking back on it, I'm like, he just did that for him. Other coaches are just 
uh, just the way they go, they went about it, I just didn't agree with. Mm. Um, and that makes it hard for some players because yeah. it's hard. Coaches, 45 different people. Like you're not going to – not everyone's going to love their coach. Of course. Um, and, you know, I, I loved him. He was a great coach and you could see why he had so much success at North Melbourne. He was, a he was, you know, just a genius. Um, but, yeah, I, he, he made me tick. He, he was – he was good uh, with the ADD. I suppose going out playing footy was a release. I suppose. Yeah. Um, when did they diagnose training. you with that? Oh, I think I had it when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think in the footy club, there's a lot of people that have probably got it. I suppose. Yeah. I, I think I, I play with a lot of people that are up and about, and when you're at training, like we used to, we used to be there all day. You play table tennis, you do weights, you go for swims, you do boxing, you train. And then you do meetings. So it was like, I think it was a release valve for me, which was great. But obviously when you stop, you don't get that release when oh, you finish. You don't get that. Yeah. And you're like, hey, am I going to burn this energy? It's a strange feeling. You met the amazing, beautiful, gorgeous Alex Favola. Oh. And you guys obviously then got engaged and married. Yeah, lucky girl. And you had kids quite, <laughs> and, yeah, and you had kids quite early as well. Mm-hmm. How old were you? Twenty. What was I? Twenty-two. Yeah. So me is nineteen, nearly twenty. Yes. Uh, Lenny is thirteen. Uh, How was it having kids so young? Well, I was a kid myself. That's what I, I mean. Lo- I lo- like you were the biggest <laughs> of kids, and then you've just gone and had kids. Poor Alex. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love kids, and I I, I love yeah. like um, you know, especially when I played footy. I love like family days and hanging out with kids. And yeah. I think it was a real like release for me when I hang out with kids. Like it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just they got no agenda. Like kids don't have any agenda. They just say how it is. They no, do what they that. want, um, and no one they don't judge. Like it's just fun. Yes. So I, I love hanging out with kids. I, I embarrass my kids now, and my daughter Lulu's nine. So I went. To, I go to her netball, and I hang out with the kids, and they're like, "Your dad's crazy," <laughs> but they love it. They're like, yeah. they're the first ones to come up to me, and like they always want to play and they shoot. And then when I walk off, they go, "Your dad's crazy." <laughs> And I say to Lulu, do they think? And they go, no, but they love you. Like they just think it's the best. Because um, I, I love hanging out with yeah. with kids and having fun, and I think it brings out like the real me. I suppose. Yes, um, I'm sure. And then in your career, you had some amazing moments. You won the Coleman Medal a couple twice, of times. Yeah. You know, you're Carlton's leading goal kicker. And then things didn't turn out so well. They started to the crumble. wheels started coming they off. They started to crumble. Yeah. How much money did you earn at the height of your career? Jeez, what a, I was on like 1.2 million maybe, my, my last How contract. old were you? Uh, 27. 27 and 27. earning that amount of money, which is unbelievable. Yeah. But obviously that allows you then to be able to kind of do a lot of stuff that might not be good, so good for you, but you're a child, yeah. you're a kid, you don't know any better, and especially back in those days. Yeah. Gambling and yeah, alcohol. Yeah. How did that spiral out of control like um, that? I think the drinking was more masking, you know, like my depression and ADD mm. and stuff. So when you drink, you just forget about everything, yeah. I suppose. And I didn't really drink much. Everyone thinks that I drank, I was like crazy, but yeah. I only really drunk. Like I hardly ever drunk. Like we didn't really go out much. And when I did go out, I was always with Alex. Um, but then you'd get like one night where you just go out and have a massive bender and things would erupt because like you just let all your emotion out because you've been bottling things yeah, up. Yeah, of course. And with men, I suppose it's hard because 
we we don't like to show our emotion. We don't mm. like to to speak what we're feeling, I yeah. suppose, because um, you think that everyone's going to look down on you and think that you're weak. Yes. Um, that was the mentality back then. Yeah. And, you know, I struggled with that and I didn't really open up to anybody. And when I did drink, it sort of, I forgot about everything, which was, which was a, which was great for me at the time, yeah. but obviously not a, a great thing for my mental health, I suppose. But and then the gambling started, like Alex left Brisbane because <clears throat> I was on the punt a lot, I suppose. I think it was another outlet where you just, that was weird because yeah, obviously money is very valuable. Yeah. But when you're a punter, you don't really care. Yeah. Like, and you had a lot of money to play with. Yeah. And it's the rush, I suppose, of mm. playing footy as well. Like it doesn't bother me whether you win or lose. It's the rush of that like minute that you're watching the race, and then yeah. the the elation that you get when it wins, and then the flatness you get when it loses. I suppose it's like a drug, like it's like, oh, and then you just got to chase, and then you got to win, and all right, it's really weird. It's just hard to explain. But I used to bet with a bookie, so therefore on the horses, on the horses, yeah. So you bet with a bookie, so you don't really have the money. So it's like Monopoly money. Mm. It's like, like mentally, you don't. Yeah. So I'm not standing there at a tab handing over like ten grand. 10 grand because you think, because if you did that, you'd be like, this is insane. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. But when you're on playing with the bookies, you just ring up and say, bang, 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 or you're on an app. Yes. And it's just like, it doesn't. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you're like, I'm like $40,000 down. You're like, how the hell did that happen? And it's like, but then you could just pay it back because you have the money. Um, But then you get into debt and then you didn't have the money because your wife doesn't know about it and then it builds up and but I would have lost millions. But um, I suppose you, you've got to learn, I suppose, and go what through. What was the most you lost in a day? Uh, I lost, ooh, uh, I won 365000 in a day. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good day. Um, I don't know what I was doing, but I won. And then by the Sunday, I was 40000 down. So it's at oh 400000 in three days. So that's a lot of money. In 2009 was probably one of your darkest moments at the Brownlow. The media slammed you oh, for they that. Did. How did that affect you? Like, what did well, you, actually, when you woke actually, up the next day? It actually what? didn't. Really? Yeah, because I, 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 I was just pissed. Yeah. So I didn't hurt anyone. No, no, yeah. no. So it was like, obviously my wife was embarrassed. She's like, watch this. And I was like, uh <laughs> I didn't really know what had happened because yes. I was like out. I woke up fresh. I was like, oh, last night was good. Yeah. I went to a function. actually went to a function at Crown the next morning um, for the King Lake bushfires. That yes. People had brought a, a fundraiser. Yeah, yeah. There's myself, Jonathan Brown, Wayne Carey, and Sam Solomon, the mm-hmm. boxer. So we went to a lunch and I got a call from like the footy club and I'm like, oh, I'll just let that go through the keep. I won't answer that. And he rang like 10 times. Like the big, that was this Greg Swan, the CEO. Yeah. And I thought I better answer it. And he's like, mate, where are you? I said, at Crown. And he said, have they not kicked you out yet? And I said, what do you mean? What's happened? Because you better go home. I'll ring you in like an hour. And I'm driving home I'm going, what the hell? Yeah. I had no idea what had happened because I was really pissed. And anyway, I get home and Alex has got it on pause and I watched it on the tape. I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> and that must have affected her a lot as <clears throat> oh, well. Oh, it did. Yeah, she hated my guts because she was pregnant at the time. So oh. she'd gone to bed. So she, she'd had enough. She's yeah. like, oh, he's been a, 
he's too drunk, I'm going to bed. Yeah. But how um, afterwards when the media really started? Mate, they stood out front of our house for six days. Six days. Didn't leave. Like, lucky there was a grand final on the Saturday. They all left. Like, they literally were out at front, our front door and didn't leave. Like, in our garden, kids were scared. It was awful. Like, it was it's awful. awful. I mean, how we was had, that? You're like was, a prisoner yeah, in your own home. It was awful. Like, parents had to come and give us food. Like, we couldn't go anywhere. And then they all left for grand final. Like, yeah. literally the morning off. So, we packed our bags and went to Brisbane for a holiday. So yeah. we, we had a trip booked like a week later. So we went to Sovereign Island. Yeah. But what's going through your ha- your head when you're in your home? You can't oh, it was leave. Awful. Yeah, it was awful. And I'm like, shit, just go away. Like, yeah. uh, but they wouldn't. And then they, when they left, we went away and then we just forgot about it. Like it was done. And then Carlton put me up for trade and then I left and then went to Brisbane. And, um, and I thought going up to Brisbane would be great. They don't really know footy too well mm. up there. Can do whatever we want. Anyway, so I went up there and I just thought it'd be great. We had a new baby on the way. Um, you know, we started really well up in Brisbane. I got really fit. Yeah. More four and zip. Going really well. And then I got injured and then, yeah. Alex left. Alex left because I was punting um, and she just had enough. So she's like, I'm going back to Melbourne um, to be around family. And so I moved in with a couple of the boys and yeah, everything just went pear-shaped. And at your darkest moment, what happened? Um, oh, I think I, I suppose I ended up in a mental clinic. Yeah. I got put into, I was supposed to be in there for seven days. Yes. Because um, I got arrested on New Year's Eve. Yeah. The first time I've ever been arrested. Yeah. I got done for jaywalking at two in the morning on New Year's jaywalking. Eve. Jaywalking? Yeah, apparently. Oh, they, just want, they just wanted to get me for some reason. I was with yeah. eight other players and they put me in, a cl- in the clink and I got locked up. Um, and then the, the Brisbane Lions come and got me out of the watch house in Brisbane yeah. and there was media everywhere and they said, we need, we'll put you in this mental clinic for seven days, let it all die down and then come out. I ended up being in there for like close to 70 days. Um, so there You must had have been, suicidal thoughts. I was in all sorts of trouble. I didn't know what was going on. Um, so I was, in, I was in this place for, you know, close to 70 days where people are really sick. Like mm. they're people institutionalised. They've got like levels. So four level, level four was suicide watch. So on, I was on that for like a week. Mm. And I think everyone that goes in there gets put on that. And then you go level three, which is, you know, you got 24 hour surveillance on you and then you go down level two, level one. So that was an, it was an awful place, but it was an amazing place where you see other people that are really, really, really crook and you talk and it's like, it's like an AA meeting, I suppose, but you're you're in an an institution. Yeah. What made you think, I know I want my life to change. I want to live and I don't want to be like this anymore. Well, Alex was... Big, I suppose, in that in that part where well, I had three kids. She's like, "You have three kids, mate. Like, you need to smarten up. Yeah. Like, you need to come back to Melbourne." Um, I got sacked by Brisbane in yeah. rehab, which <laughs> I don't think would happen now. It's awful when you think about it. It is awful, um, and I don't think I took it that well. I suppose when yeah. I was in the rehab. You know, Michael Voss came in and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me mm. though because I lost my footy and I had to, you know, focus on my family. And I, being out of the bubble of footy was probably the best thing that literally has ever happened. So at my darkest time, I suppose, when that was where I got the arse, was a start of obviously everyone thinking, oh, your life's going to be over when you finish footy. I was 20, I think I just turned 29. Yeah. So I'm so young. So um, young. So young. So I'd come back to Melbourne and... You know, started hanging out with the kids and, you know, Alex, but we didn't get back together for a while. I was living with my best mate who lived next door, his brother. I was living with them in Beaconsfield, sort of um, 
they were looking after me, which was good because I sort of needed a bit of looking of after. You know, you're highly medicated because of the stuff they put you on. And then we got back together and, um, you know, ever since then, I suppose, you know, it's been, um, it's been really good. Like life's been really good. What do you think were the key things that have changed in your life to make you lead this um, fabulous life now? I think, you know, the jungle was a good thing, yeah. I, I suppose. Take us through that because you got put on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me yeah. Out of Here, which was fairly new at the time. Yeah. And that was an absolute life changer for you. Yeah, real game changer, life changer. So I was on the couch with Al and they'd sent through like an email to go on to this show. And I watched the first season and I hate camping. I hate, I literally hate bugs, like yeah. mosquitoes. I hate the heat. Like I don't like it being too hot. I love food. I need my TV. I need a bed. I need a shower. And I'm like, can't I can't do this. She's yeah. like, you don't have a job. You've got no money. <laughs> I, I've been supporting you for the last three years. Yeah. You need to do this. Um, and we just got back together. So she's like, I need people to realize why I, I'm back with you. And because everyone thinks I'm an idiot to getting back with yeah. you. I need like Australia to realize like like how see I see you and why says, I love yeah. you. Anyway, I said, well, what happens if I get voted out early? And she said, well, they all still think you're a f- wit. Uh, <laughs> it's exactly what words. You've got nothing to lose. I'm like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Um, so anyway, I ended up going over and because a lot of stuff that people write in the papers and stuff aren't true. Yeah. So that's what you read it and then you believe that about yes. the person. And then obviously I went in there and, and I won it. I went, got to the end and, and was in there for 50 days. Um, won, the, won the show. Amazing. Which was amazing. And people yeah. got to see me, I suppose. They did. Um, and the funny thing was Alex said, do not say that we're back together on the show because we just sort of gotten back together yep. in September and not really many people knew, but she's like, just don't mention me at all. Like, yeah. I don't want to be spoken about. I reckon the first day I said I was back together. <laughs> but because you're in there and you don't get to speak to any of them, like, yeah. I didn't know what and she was going to... you wanted to tell the truth. Well, I didn't know what she was... I didn't know how she was going to react. Yeah. So when I first saw her, when she came into the jungle, like, two days before the final, because they fly your family yeah. over, I was like, oh, my God, is she going to... Because that whole time I'm thinking, is she going to be hating me because I'm talking about her all the time? Or, you know, is she... Because like, you've got no idea. Because, like, if we have a fight, you and I now... Yeah. I'm going to see you or talk to you in the next day or two. Yeah. But like for 50 days, yes, I, had no, I had no contact with anyone, not even my kids. And it's awful. Um, but yeah, she she cried and said how proud she was. And we ended up staying in South Africa for a week. And then she was saying, I've had all these calls from like radio stations because I had no idea. Yeah. She's like, they've been calling me saying, will you come and work? They want to do a trial with you in. And we've had these people call. And I'm like, what the hell? I had no idea. Yeah. Because I'd been in the jungle for so long. Um, I had no idea how my life was about to change, mm. I suppose, actually get a job because I've never had a job before. Yeah. Like I've never worked at a job. Of course. Because I've played footy. So How bizarre. Um, which is weird. So like going into a workplace where people aren't playing footy, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, and it's structured, really it's structured. structured. Like, yeah, and I think it's obviously I, I came into radio at Fox because yeah. I could do Triple M and Fox at the same time. And I think the the generations of from that show, like I had grandmas coming up cuddling me at airports saying how much they loved me. Aww. I had like my age people just going, oh, you're like just what they do. Yeah. And then I had like little kids coming up going, Fev, not, nothing about, you're that man from the celebrity show. Yeah. Did you really eat that spider? Did you really eat that drink? Or drink that drink. And yeah. it's like the generation was so broad after mm. that because it wasn't just a footy player anymore. Um, but that's nice. Which you're I quite, more than which, just that. Yeah, which I quite liked. Mm. Um, 
and then people got to see the real me and then obviously getting the the job on the radio which was um which is amazing and I think it helps me that I lived that structured life with footy with all the times and the you got to be here for a meeting and you got to be here for that yeah. where with work it's like you have to be here at a certain time you got meetings and it's structured and I think that helps me of course with this job. it's discipline especially discipline, you're doing yeah. breakfast radio breakfast and you have to radio. be here really early you do not dissimilar to how Alex wanted you to go on um, <laughs> that show when I thought about the podcast and you came to mind straight away and because I know that you are a genuinely beautiful soul with such good intentions and there is one pinnacle moment where I remember a friend of mine who has a child who's really, really unwell with autism, like severe, severe autism and she does a beautiful fundraiser every year for this special, special school that the kids go to, but it's very expensive and they need all the money that they can get. And I came up to you and I know you, but I don't know you that well. And I said to you, look, would there be any way that you could like take some time out and I could put you up as like a charity auction item? You wanted to auction me you off. Could, you could do <laughs> a couple of hours with this child for their birthday. People could buy that. You did not flinch and you said, yeah, sure. Firstly, you have no association to that charity. You do not know anyone but me who was just doing it for a friend. That is, and, and you're not getting recognition. It was not like it was advertised on radio no. or other people yeah. really knew about it. Like, Fev, that is such a beautiful, kind, selfless gesture. And the child that you ended up doing it for, his mum emailed me after that and she wrote to me, you know, Brendan Favola, he's an absolute legend, one of the best people that we could have got. He made my son's day. And you help these people that are in such a hard position, you know, with with the charity and raising all this money. That is such a beautiful, selfless act. Like what is in in you that was happy to do things like that. I know this is not the first thing that you've yeah. done that's like that. <clears throat> um, why, why do you feel it's so important to give back? I don't know, but I couldn't walk for about three days after I did <laughs> that because I played <laughs> footy with them for about three hours. I was absolutely knackered. Um, I suppose not having much as a child um, and then getting everything and then losing everything, um, I suppose I've always been like that. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I, I am very giving... Um, because I like to see people happy, I yeah. suppose. Um, like a, a cold supporter still now come up to me and, and they still, you know, love me for uh, like playing footy, but yeah. they always say like with family days and stuff, you were the first there and you were last to leave. Like you never left. Because I, 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 when I was younger, I went up to a player that I loved and I asked for an autograph and he didn't sign it. And like it broke me, like it absolutely broke me. Yeah. Uh, but then I heard a backstory about it, and there was something going on. And yeah. That, well, I'm actually mates with this person now. So. Yeah. And it broke me as a kid. So I said I was like 15. Mm. I shouldn't say kid, but I was like. Yeah, I but was, you're old enough was, that you remembered it. Yeah. And it broke me, and I said, when I get drafted, so I was confident I was going to play footy. I would never not sign a kid's autograph or do anything for anyone, because um, I know how I felt, and so that's I've just had that ever since. So that then taught me to be the way I was with fans and, yeah. and stuff and, and to always help people. And if that didn't happen, I don't know, I mightn't have been like that. But I always, you know, um, and I'm very lucky I've got four very healthy kids and, um, you know, I go to the Monash Hospital all the time. I used to always go to the Children's Hospital. I just pop in with like Carlton stuff and go to yeah. the wards and hand out stuff. But 
I never wanted anyone to know about it. They'd be like, oh, can we tell put the, the, the paper because you, you know, you've been in trouble for this and we want to – I said, I don't want anyone yeah. to know because I do it just I know. for me and them. Like I don't want people to – Oh, he's just doing that for this. It's yeah. like, I, I just do it because it makes me feel good. It makes them feel good. And I just like people being get... happy. Like I just like people being happy. So It's um, funny, isn't it? Because like I said, that's why I wanted people to know this side, this yeah. beautiful side of you. And the fact that you are such a, a kind soul. You just had a beautiful little baby girl, I did. Toby. Little How? Toes. She's one now. Yeah. How has that changed your life? Um She's so happy. She sleeps all night. Yeah. She never cries. Um, the kids love her. Um, like, it's just brought our, like, we're a pretty tight family, but yes. it's brought us so close. Like, so nice. everyone, like, just wants to hold her. And they, like, the kids, me, Lenny, and Lulu, they feed her, they change her nappy, they bath her. She's so good. And the kids are so good with her. She's just, yeah, she's amazing. It's, um, she's just really completed our family. She's so good. Well, what would you, say to someone going through what you've gone through, what would you say to someone? I mean, they don't have to be an AFL star, like a young AFL star, but just someone who is going through a mental health issue, knowing what you know now. I suppose um, don't be afraid to talk to someone. Yeah. And I think that's a big message and it's cliche. Everyone says, oh, talk to someone. It's very hard to talk to someone mm-hmm. and it's very hard to tell someone how you feel. Um, it's very hard to open up to someone. Um, so I used to open up to like people I didn't even know. Yeah. Because it was easier. Because yeah. I knew I wouldn't see them yes. again. I'm like, yes. hey, one the piss. I'm, I'd tell them everything. Yeah. And then you'd never see them again. Um, but the people so close to you would never tell anything to because you know that you're going to see them every day mm-hmm. and they're going to judge you. But I, I learned that a lot of people that I thought were my friends weren't my friends when they found out all the stuff that was going on. Really? And they drop off and they do. And people that you didn't realize were so close, they're the ones that are, all, that, that, that are there for you, which yeah. is amazing. So don't be afraid to open up to your loved ones. Don't be afraid to speak to your wife or your girlfriend or your husband or your boyfriend, um, your mum, I suppose, your parents. Um, because it is hard, but once you do do it, it's like such a weight off your shoulder and they're there to help you and they're not there to judge and that was the big thing to get into my head. Like they're going to judge me, that they're going to think that I'm weak and that's what you think and mm. a lot of people going through that do think that but the big thing is just to open up and, and speak to someone and there's a lot of places out there that you can you can speak to yeah. and a lot of people you can speak to but yeah, yeah, that was a big thing for me to, to open up and to talk um, because things can't get resolved if people don't know. Yeah, well that's you can't, it. And you can't course. do it yourself Yeah, um, and the only way to to resolve things is to tell people stuff, especially people that are so close to you. And then you can get to that point. You can work together. You can get help. You can talk it through and things get better. Like they do get better. And that's a lot of people don't think it's ever going to get mm. better, but it does. Like it can get better. Like you can have really bad days. You can have really good days. But if you speak and you open up and you treat it, people can see the signs and they help and things it, it can get better. And it does. What would you, knowing everything that you know now, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? Well, I get asked this a lot and I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Because if I did change that, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. I probably wouldn't be with Alex. Toby wouldn't be here. I, I, I just I would do exactly what I've done. Yeah. Because I've got to the place where I'm very happy and I've lived through some real shit like going bankrupt, being in a rehab, playing AFL footy, getting drafted, um, going on a TV show, doing numerous TV yeah. shows. 
None of these. Everything's sort of, led you to this. point. Everything's led me to this mm, point. Going to Brisbane, beautiful. I probably would have stayed at Carlton if yeah. I had a crystal ball. I wouldn't have left. But going to Brisbane, going to that rehab, it's shaped my life the way it is now. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have a story to tell, I suppose. And, yes. You know, life's not perfect, and you got to go through your ups and downs. And I think I've gone through a lot of ups and a lot of downs, mm. and now I've just plateaued out, which is good. I'm just at this. I'm just walking along a nice straight line, and I'm happy. Um, my life's happy. Um, my family's happy. Um, everything is going really well. Like I got a great job. Um, we get to do fun things. Mm. My kids. I work in a job where I finish the same time as them. We have holidays together. Yeah. We're so fortunate. Alex has her own business where she can have time off wherever she wants. Everything is really good. And I don't think I would have got to that point if I changed anything. Yes. What are you most grateful for? Um, my good looks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bet you didn't think that was coming. Uh, I'm most grateful. My kids and my family. Like it's people don't have, some people don't get to have a, good family. Like I'm so fortunate. I've got four beautiful kids that I love, that love me and a beautiful wife. She's amazing. She's like, I wouldn't be, I don't know where I'd be without her, yes. but to have, to go home every day and have that. Um, you know, I'm so lucky, fortunate. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, I just want people that I know to know how much love that I give to people mm. and I want people to say, oh, when they say, oh, geez, you meet Fev, what a good dude. Like, yeah, geez, just a good dude. Yeah. And that's what you want. Family man, um, which I never got used to get called that, but mm. now it's always family man because um, I love my kids. I love being around my family. And that's the legacy you want to leave. You want to, you want, you want to be known as, you know, a good family man. What is your heart's greatest desire? Um, I want my kids to to live a good life. Like I, yeah. I've had enough money and made enough in the past but then lost it all mm. and then we've started again. I just want them to go to good schools, get a good education um, and be really successful. And I think that does start with your parents. But you can, it doesn't matter if your parents don't have any money, you can still be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my family didn't have any money um, when I was growing up. But just to give them that platform where you don't want them to be stressed about anything. What is a life of greatness to you? You live every day of it, you'll ask, because one day it will be. Mm. And that is a true words never been spoken because you don't actually know when it's going to be your last day. Just to have fun because life's way too short and you don't want to waste it. Brendan Favola, thank you for just being you and being such a beautiful, kind, generous, loving person. I said stop it. <laughs> thank you. Stay connected by following A Life of Greatness on Instagram at A Life of Greatness Podcast. For more information and to watch videos on this and other episodes, head to sarahgrimberg.com. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate and review A Life of Greatness on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. A Life of Greatness is a Podcast One Australia production. Executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tottiel for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au.